The following message is by Pastor Jason Polly. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. Well, good morning. Welcome to the gathering of Harmony Bible Church. It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord to worship Him this morning. Let's uh, go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank You for today. Thank You for the grace You've given us and for this opportunity we have now to look at Your Word. God, I pray that You'd be with us, that You'd encourage our hearts, that You'd help us to apply Your Word to our lives, to not just be mere hearers of the Word, but instead doers of the Word. God, that You would just work mightily and miraculously in us as we seek to apply the things You have for us this morning. God, I pray for me that if there's any words that I have written down that are on this page that are not from You, that You would take them from me, that You would close my mouth, that You would take the words off the page, that You would keep them from being uttered, but instead the words that I speak would come from You. God, I pray and ask that we would worship You in spirit and in truth, and I pray the same for the churches that are meeting up and down the coast and around the world this morning. God, just work mightily and miraculously in those churches for you to be glorified. May your gospel be proclaimed and may people grow in you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we've worked our way through the book of Colossians. We started in April and we finished finished last week with the book of Colossians. And we're now going to be starting the book of 1 Corinthians. So, if the same uh, pace holds true, I figure we ought to be done in about a year and a half. Or two years, maybe. Even as I say that, I started with 1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 9, and you'll see on the overhead there, that's what it says that we're going to be looking at, and I only got about halfway through, so we're actually only going to look at verses 1 through 3. This is going to be part 1 of a two-part series within a series, if you will. So rather than provide a long overview of 1 Corinthians, I just want to jump right into this opening section this week and next week, because I think these verses actually provide a backdrop, a foundation, if you will, for what Paul is about to say in this letter. You see, in these verses, we see Paul encouraging the church in Corinth to live in light of the Gospel. That's what I've chosen to call this sermon series, is living in light of the Gospel. So without further ado, let's look at our text this morning, 1 Corinthians 1, 1 1-9, if you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, 
our Lord. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to break this passage down into two parts as we consider Paul's opening words to this church in, Cor- in Corinth. First, verses 1-3, through three, as I mentioned this week, as we consider the call of God in the lives of believers. And then verses 4-9, through nine, which we will look at next week, as we consider the confirmation or continued work of God in the lives of believers. So looking at verses 1-3, through three, I want you to notice three things. Number one, God calls people to Himself. Number one, God calls people to Himself. Look at verse 1 again with me. It says this, Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. See, the author of this letter identifies himself as Paul and tells his readers that he was called as an apostle. So while Paul is reminding his readers of the authority with which he is about to write, He wants them to know that this authority comes from God Himself. That this authority is not something that Paul took upon himself, but it was given by God. And the words in this letter are challenging, to say the least. The words that are contained in 1 Corinthians are very challenging, and Paul wants the Corinthian believers to know that while he may be the one delivering the words, they actually come from God And He is simply God's representative. That He's the one bringing the message, but the message really comes from God Himself. You see, it's not as though Paul aspired to be in the position that he was in. Or that he was even placed there by men. Instead, the Greek word called is kletos. Or kletos. And it refers to having been summoned. And it's exactly what happened with Paul. We talked about this in Sunday school. He was summoned by God. When we read the kind of person Paul was prior to his conversion, we see that he wasn't a very good candidate for conversion. See, he wasn't a seeker. He wasn't curious about Christ at all. He wasn't even open to discussing the gospel. Instead, he was walking down the road, getting ready to round up some Christians so that they could be persecuted. And what happened? God called him. In Acts 26, Paul recounts his testimony before King Agrippa. He says, Agrippa, this is what happened to me. And in verses 9-18, through he says this, I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. While so engaged, I was was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when they had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
But get up, stand on your feet, for this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you to a, as a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So Paul, in an instant, goes from being an enemy of the good news of Jesus Christ to being a follower of Jesus. Why? Because he heard God's call. You see, Paul was summoned by the Lord. It was, as he says, the Lord's will that he became an apostle, not an act of his own will. Notice also in verse 1 that Paul mentions Sosthenes, our brother, he calls him. And we don't know a lot about Sosthenes. In fact, the only other place he's mentioned in Scripture is in Acts 18. So we see Sosthenes here, and we see the Sosthenes in Acts 18. And there's some debate as to whether it's the same Sosthenes or not, but I think more than likely this is the Sosthenes that is being talked about. That uh, Acts 18 takes place in Corinth, and there's the Sosthenes there, and now Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, and he talks about Sosthenes, our brother. So look at Acts 18, if you will, with me. Acts 18, verses 1 through 17. Here we see what happens with this man named Sosthenes. We actually get a picture here in Acts 18 of what's going on or what happened in the church in Corinth. Starting at verse 1 of Acts 18, it says these, After these things he left Athens, this is Paul, and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having, frequently, having recently excuse me, come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. And he, Paul, was reasoning in the synagogues every Sabbath, trying to persuade the Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the Word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there for a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But while Gallio was proconsul in Achaia, the Jews, with one accord, rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or of a vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names and your own law, look, at it, look after it yourselves. I am unwilling to be a judge of these matters. 
And he drove them away from the judgment seat, and took, and they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Gallio was not concerned about any of these things. So Paul, he goes to Corinth, and he begins preaching the gospel in the synagogue. But the Jews, they reject his message, they become hostile, and he says, your blood be on your own hands. And he walks away. But he doesn't walk too far. He moves to the house next door. This house of this tidiest justice. And apparently sometime thereafter, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, becomes a follower of Jesus. That by some miracle, that those who are hostile to Jesus, he's the leader of the synagogue, the leader of those who are hostile, he follows Christ. He becomes a Christian. And who does he get replaced by? He gets replaced by this guy named Sosthenes. So he stays there. He continues to preach. And Paul eventually is brought before Gallio, the the governor, if you will, of that region, for his preaching of the Gospel. And Gallio is disinterested in the whole thing. He says, this is really of no concern of mine. This is a religious matter. So they decide to beat Sosthenes. And the text doesn't really tell us who is responsible for this beating. Whether it's the Jews who beat him, or whether it's the Greeks who beat him. But it seems obvious that both parties had a reason to be upset with him. You see, the Greeks, for wasting their time in court on such religious matters, and the Jews for not representing them well enough to squash the teachings of this man, this Pharisee turned Christian, named Paul. So in any event, the point of taking us to Acts 18 is to show the mighty hand of God in people's lives. Just as he called Paul a Pharisee and persecutor of the Christians, as well as Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, so he apparently called Sosthenes, the man who took his place as the synagogue ruler. So when we read in 1 Corinthians, Paul saying, I'm writing this letter to you and I'm writing with Sosthenes, our brother, it's remarkable. That's a miraculous thing that Paul came to Corinth, he preached that Crispus was converted, and that his replacement, Sosthenes, was converted, and now he's writing along with Sosthenes. Praise God that he calls people to himself. You know, I was 19 years old, and I cannot say that I was seeking after God. If any, anything but seeking after God. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. And God opened my eyes to the truth. Sure, there were some ideas that I had that it, and through a set of circumstances I thought I was going to seek to know all of the world's religions and understand everything because I thought I was going to study every religion that ever existed, determine which one was most true, and that I and my, uh, in my brilliance would determine which one I would follow. But God opened my eyes. See, I wasn't seeking after God. I was just seeking over that which appealed to me. God opened my eyes and He called me to Himself. And Scripture again and again testifies to the fact that God is the author of salvation. It's not that we're bright enough, that we're smart enough, that somehow we say, you know, I really realize that I am a sinner, that I need Jesus Christ as my Savior, but instead God opens us up to that fact, He graciously calls us to Himself. Galatians 1.6 says, I am amazed that you are so quickly de- deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ 
for a different gospel. Ephesians 4, verses 1 and 4 says, Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Verse 4, he says, There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. Colossians 3.15 Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. 1 Timothy 6.12 Fight the good fight. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And as a result of that call, he says you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you might proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And 2 Peter 1.3 Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and excellence. See, the point is, God calls people to Himself. The the work of salvation is the work of God in men's lives. And in light of this, I want to encourage you to pray, not just for the people of Paris, right, but the people who are behind these kinds of attacks. That the people that are attacking the people of Paris, right, pray for them. Pray for the people that are being attacked, but pray for those who are doing the attacking as well. See, if God can work in the lives of men like Paul and Crispus and Sosthenes, who once were hostile to the Gospel, so also He can work in the lives of these men. So having seen, number one, that God calls people to Himself, now let's consider the second point in your sermon outline. The second point is, God calls people to newness of life. God calls people to newness of life. Look at verse 2 with me, if you will. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Notice that Paul says that the church in Corinth has been sanctified in Christ Jesus. The word sanctified means set apart or made holy. And in the same way, he says that they are saints by calling. So he says, you have been set apart, you've been made holy, and you are saints by calling. The term saints comes from the same Greek word as sanctified. So in a sense, he's saying the same thing twice. The word uh, saints means holy people or set apart ones. So what Paul is saying in verse 2 is, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been made holy in Christ Jesus, holy people by calling. You see, we miss the emphasis in English because we don't see how these two words relate, the sanctified and saints. But Paul wants the church in Corinth to remember, they have been made holy. They are a holy people by calling. Now there's a real temptation here, I believe. And the temptation is this. To think that Paul is saying that the believers in Corinth are called to act holy. That's not at all what Paul is saying. At least not yet. Paul is not saying, you need to act holy. So do not hear me say that. A good part of this letter is indeed Paul saying that. However, 
What he's saying here is first the foundation upon which they can live holy lives. What he's saying here is as followers of Jesus Christ, they are holy. Hear that, church. That's what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth. right? Probably the worst example of what a church should be in all of Scripture. At least one of the worst examples. He says, you are holy. In other words, he's reminding them that God has made them positionally perfect. Positionally holy. Hebrews 10, 10-14 says this, By this we will know, by this we, know, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. Every priest, talking about the Old Testament, talking about the offerings, the sacrificial system, every priest stands daily, ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But He, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until His enemies be made a footstool for His feet. Verse 14, For by one offering He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Church, you have been made perfect by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul wants the church in Corinth to know. You've been made holy. You see, before ever saying, be holy, he wants them to know that they have been made holy. They've already been set apart for Christ. And as we studied in Colossians not long ago, we read that the old self with its sinful practices has been put aside. So now we must put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its Creator. We see the same kind of idea in Romans 6 where it says this, starting at verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. The death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And He goes on and says, Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. That you are now dead to sin. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ You see, legalism and a religion of works will say, act holy so that you can become holy. Act holy so that you can achieve holiness. However, that is not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is, you have been made holy. Therefore, act holy. You have been made perfect by the blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, live a life in accordance with who you are. That you've been forgiven, you've been set free from the law of sin and death, and live in light of that truth. No longer subject yourselves to the slavery of sin. Instead, live in freedom, freedom that exists only in Christ. Now for clarity, Paul is not saying 
He's not assuming that everyone to whom he is writing is a genuine believer. He's speaking to genuine believers. If you are a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, you have been made positionally perfect. But both 1st and 2nd Corinthians really contain many warnings against, against those whose faith is not genuine. Both books actually end with a warning. Make sure you are indeed in the faith. But what he's saying here is that those who have genuine faith, who have been set apart, will live lives that are set apart as well. That they're called to live lives set apart. Holy lives. We see this again and again through Scripture that God calls people to Himself and then God calls people to newness of life. So having seen that God calls people to Himself and He calls them to newness of life, that He makes them holy, let's consider the third point in our sermon outline. The third point is God calls people into a new family. God calls people into a new family. Look at verses 2 and 3 again with me. Paul says this, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that Paul says, to the church of God which is at Corinth. And I'm trying every Sunday to remember not to say, welcome to Harmony Bible Church, but instead to say, welcome to the gathering of Harmony Bible Church. That that this is not, this building is not Harmony Bible Church, that we are Harmony Bible Church. And that we gather together in this particular place. And in the same way, Paul says to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. You see, Paul is reminding them that they are are united with other believers. That they're united to every believer who's ever lived in every generation and every location. And they're united in their calling and their confession. You see, he wants them to know that they're part of something bigger than themselves. One of the things that really gets me gets under my skin a little bit is when somebody will say they'll refer to the church as their church. And I I know it's not always meant in a bad way. Sometimes people simply mean the church that I attend, the church that I love, the church that I adore. But sometimes people say their church. Or what gets me even more is when somebody will say, oh, isn't it nice that you have your own church? I throw up in my mouth a little bit every time I hear that. I'm serious, because it's not my church that is sick. This is the church of Jesus Christ. It belongs to Him. It doesn't belong to Bill Batty. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to T or to Kim or anybody else. This is His church. right? We're part of something way bigger than this. This is just a picture of something bigger. A picture of something grander. Namely, that God is calling a people to Himself. That is uniting a people as a family in Him. And we're a small microcosm of that. Praise God for that picture. We should love our church. But we must also remember that it's ultimately His church. You see, Paul here in this section is laying the foundation for what lies ahead. 
He's going to soon address division that exists in the church. But before he does that, he wants them to know there are no Lone Ranger Christians. That you cannot be a Christian and not be part of the church. There's no such thing. And I'll tell you, in times of frustration, there have been times in my Christian walk when I've said, I understand how Christians get to the place where they say, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. And I've, I've been there. I've been maybe not to that point, but closely approaching that point where I understand where the church can be frustrating. But the church is Christ's bride. He died for the church. And you can't love Jesus if you don't love the church. The ones for whom He died because you are the church, the one for whom He died if you're a Christian. You see, when you become a Christian, you become a child of the King. And as such, you have brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters in the Lord. So just as there's no place for sin in the lives of those who have been made holy, Paul said, you've been made holy. So therefore, don't sin. Now he says, you've been made part of a family. So don't have division. It's the same thing. He's laying the foundation for what lies ahead. There's no place for division amongst those who are united in Christ. Now that's not to say there's never room for division. right? For Paul makes it clear later on in this letter that we must not accept false doctrine. That we should divide over false doctrine. That we should not let people continue in sin without warning them. That there are times when we must draw a line in the sand, so to speak. However, Paul's point is that there should be unity. Unity amongst believers, not because we're all alike, but because we're all being transformed into the image of Christ. In other words, the lines that we draw, they're not our lines. right? They're lines of His choosing. And when we draw those lines, lines of His choosing, we can all be united on that side of the line. The problem is when we draw lines that aren't of His choosing. Well, I like when we sing hymns. And I like when we play tracks. Or I like when we... Whatever, right? We, we, We draw these lines that are of our choosing and not His choosing. You know, I've said, I don't care. And I pray that I continue to not care what we sing on Sunday morning. Sometimes... It's just, it's not that important to me. What's more important is that we're united in Him. Right? And we're going to continue to bump up against each other. Because I draw a line sometimes where I say, oh, this is a line, this is important. And then somebody needs to come along and go, is that your line? Or is that a line that Scripture clearly says you need to hold fast to? You see, it's not that there are no hills upon which to die. Last I checked, Jesus died upon a hill, right? But it's that we better make sure that the hills upon which we die are the hills that matter, the hills of Scripture. That's why Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6, Paul, in writing to the church in Ephesus, says, I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, because there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were also called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all. And he goes on and says, and you've been given these gifts so that you can build each other up. 
in that body of Christ. You see, while we may all be different, we've been united together to help each other grow, to become more like Christ, and collectively, to bring Him glory. So we've been called to be part of a family. So in review, God calls people to Himself. God calls people to newness of life. And God calls people into a family. So the question is this, how do we apply all of this, both individually and corporately, specifically here at Harmony Bible Church? How do we take this idea that we've been, God calls people to Himself, God calls people into holiness, not just telling us to be holy, but instead making us holy, and then God calls us into a family united with each other in that relationship. How do we take that and apply that to our lives? Well, number one, we must remember the call of God on our lives. So we must praise Him for that. That though I was walking just like Paul, that He picked me up, He transformed my life, He turned me around. That my conversion is no less miraculous than Paul's conversion. It looks different. That I wasn't persecuting the church of God, not in the same way. But I'll tell you, I was hostile. I was hostile to the things of God. That even even the child who grows up in the church and knows the things of God and still rejects Jesus as his Lord, as his Savior, is still hostile. And that God turns him around, places a calling on his life and says, why are you persecuting me? Follow me. And that conversion is just as miraculous. And we must remember the call of God on our lives that praise God, He sought us when we were His enemies. And then we must also pray for others to hear God's call. We need to be serious about prayer. You know, we talk about praying for Paris. We talk about praying for France and praying for all the things that are going on in our world. God changed Paul. God changed Sosthenes. God changed Jason Pauly. We need to pray for individuals to hear God's call. And then we need to be willing, as Paul was, to be used in that call. Immediately, we read in Sunday school this morning that when Paul was converted, what did he do? He got up, he went to the synagogue, and he began to proclaim. And not everyone is called to preach. Not everyone is called to be an apostle. But we are all called to witness. To witness to what Christ did for us. So we must remember the call of God in our lives. And number two, we must remember that we've been made holy. That we are now positionally perfect. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle with sin. Do not hear me say that. In fact, it means just the opposite. That because we have been forgiven, that because God sees us through the lens of Jesus Christ, He sees us through His righteousness, that therefore we no longer need to sin. We've been set free from sin. That's not who I am And that is not how I should act. It's like I was telling Mark earlier. I said, if I go tonight after church and I decide to go out tonight and not go home, that's not who I am anymore. I'm not single. I'm married, right? So I should act like I'm married. And in the same way, God has changed us fundamentally. We are now holy, so therefore we should act holy. 
See, we've been set apart from sin and set apart to Christ. We need to live out who we have been made to be. And then lastly, not only must we remember that God has called us, remember the call of God on our lives, remember that God has made us positionally holy, therefore we should live holy lives, but also we must remember our place in the family of God. We must be unified in Him. See, I've heard it said that marriage is the battle between two kingdoms. And if you uh, have been married, you know that's what marriage is. It's like two kingdoms, two kings going at each other, saying, no, 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 I want my way. And marriage only works. Marriage only works when those two kingdoms are seeking a kingdom greater than their own. That as soon as those, those two individuals, a husband and wife, if they only seek to please themselves, they will be at war. But if they're seeking to please Jesus, there's no place for war. You see, they're seeking a kingdom that is not their own. And I believe the same is true in the life of the church. Right? So when we talk about being unified in Him, it's the same picture. That if we're all seeking after our own kingdom, that if we're seeking the things that we want, then we will continue to war. And I've done my fair share of battling, right? I've battled Bill, and I'm sure Bill has battled me, where we've wanted what we want. Instead of saying, what does Jesus want? And if we're seeking after His kingdom and His righteousness, then there's no place for disunity. Instead, we're united We're united in pursuing His kingdom. See, just as uh, there's no place for sin in the life of someone who is holy, there's no place for disunity in those who are united in Christ. We're called to love each other, care for each other. We're called to do the one another's that we talked about last week. And the only way we will do that is, is if we remember that we're not pursuing just the betterment of ourselves or even the betterment of another brother, but instead pursuing Jesus Christ and Him alone. So I'd encourage you all, remember the call of God on your lives. Remember you've been made holy and to live holy lives in light of that. And then remember that you are placed in the family of God and that you are to seek His kingdom and His righteousness in that family. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You for Your grace. I thank You for this endeavor that we are about to take in the book of 1 Corinthians. God, I pray that as we go through the text that we will be going through over the next several months, that You would help us to not become focused on the what we must do over and above the focus of who we are in You. God, help us to remember our position. Help us to remember the grace You have given us, the call that You have placed on our lives. Help us to remember that we have been made holy. We have been, made, uh, we have been forgiven through the blood of Your Son, Jesus Christ, and we are now positionally perfect. Therefore, we are no longer slaves to sin, but instead we have the opportunity to pursue You. And God, help us to remember that as we live out these things, we are called to live out these things as a body. God, I pray that the words that 
are in front of us for the next several months would not just be legalistic commands, but instead would be based on the freedom that we have in You, the freedom to pursue Your glory together as a church. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Polly, pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomaston, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and we invite you to connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. God bless you, and to God be the glory.